Hi, Anya. Hi. Hello, Tansy. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Busy. Um, lots of stuff happening across the world, <laughs> including my own life. So lots of, lots of stuff going down. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely noticing that it's things have picked up. <laughs> yeah. like lots is going on all around all at the same time I haven't watched the film <laughs> that I feel like I'm mentioning oh, wait, everything what film? all at once I think it's got like everything all at once all at the same oh, time oh yes yes I think it, that won awards some yeah. awards US yeah. Yeah. yeah I haven't seen it either I'd like to though yeah me too um but I'm having a sense that like that's how it feels inside it's just like so much is going on all at once and all at the same time um, and maybe that's just our access to news. Um, yeah. So we're kind of constantly overwhelmed both on what's happening out there in the world, in our own country, in our own home, in our own work and life. So just feel like loads of what's going on. And I know that's normal. We normally feel like that. But I feel like right now there seems to be a huge amount uh, going on, particularly in the world stage. So, Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of intensity and sort of, you know, we're still kind of coming out, I feel like, of the COVID lull and confusion. And now things are just ready to go, but they're just not out of the gate yet. You know, it's like a horse race. Yeah. Um, and everybody's sort of stomping in the gate, waiting for, okay, now what? What's next? Because there's this sense of major change afoot. I think everybody sort of senses that, or at least a lot of people. And then, but what direction does that take us? Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And I think actually COVID has made us like that whole period has made us a lot more exhausted. Um, and perhaps in the past, we would have been just like hitting everything like with pace and kind of a strange sort of naivety. Whereas I think now there's this real sense that we kind of know what it feels like to go through something quite challenging as mm -hmm. a world and I think there's sort of this trepidation and exhaustion as in can things just be can things just calm down rather than be ramping up right now like nobody is wanting like the kind of conflicts that are happening across the world and um that are embroiling everyone I think everyone's just like can we just have some peace for a bit wouldn't that be nice <laughs> um so yeah uh, I mean obviously we're lucky in the western world having had um having not had conflicts on our soil for a long time yeah. um so yeah anyway so today <laughs> we are talking about um we're going to talk about some of the things that are happening in the crypto space and just how that maybe is affecting um us and kind of adding to this sense of what's going on so what I wanted to talk about was something called Operation Chokepoint. Now, the original Operation Chokepoint was in 2013 uh, under President Obama. And this happened in America. And it was essentially a chokepoint is a part is a way of like squeezing off an industry, basically like cutting it off from source so that it it kind of withers um, and tries to die or may die so there was this it was called operation choke point and it was essentially about the u.s 
government, a US government initiative to kind of squeeze out undesirable industries that they didn't like, but they didn't have uh, a legal way of stopping those businesses because, you know, it's a, it's an open and free market, but they didn't like those businesses. And so they wanted to stamp them out, but they had to do it in a way that was kind of covert um, and in a way that could really kind of isolate those industries. And so at the time, those industries were pornography, gambling, and um, payday lending. So these kind of undesirable um, types of businesses in terms of what the US government um, thought that they wanted to allow to exist. So they uh, had banks sort of shutting off funding to these different types of organizations that were running um, and it was a big crackdown. And so that happened in 2013. And now 10 years later, there is another industry that is irking <laughs> the US government. And there have been a number of things that have happened that have shown that Operation Chokepoint 2.0 is taking place. Uh, so a, a man called Nick Carter, who is kind of pivotal in the crypto space, has been talking about Operation Chokepoint 2.0. Uh, he kind of coined that phrase in terms of what is going on now. And there is a tremendous amount of evidence to show that this is what is happening. So from multiple different angles, um, the government, the SEC, so the Securities Exchange Commission, um, are all targeting uh, and banks sort of under the um, oversight yeah. of government regulations and government kind of putting pressure on them are basically starting this choke point on crypto. So a lot of the banks that have been servicing the crypto industry have started to be either closed or have gone bankrupt. Um, some had no problems like Signature Bank and they were just closed for no reason. And so there are, there are fewer and fewer banks that are able to service the crypto industry. And then even individuals and employees in the crypto industry are finding that they are having their banking services withdrawn. And banks have, it's not in regulation, but they have been pressed quite intently, and there's evidence of this, to, to prevent themselves from sort of taking on new crypto clients and essentially looking at the reputation of their clients um, rather than considering sort of their own reputation, which is not something that they would normally have done is just, they should be allowed to take on any clients, but now there's this whole standard where they have to, cons to consider the reputation of their clients and um, whether they will take them on. And they've basically stopped taking on a lot of the different crypto clients. And at the same time, the SEC, uh, with Gary Ginsler at the head, is really tightening the um, kind of regulatory clampdown. And I say regulatory clampdown, but really in terms of regulation, although the SEC say that there's all this regulation that crypto industries are not following, the mm. regulation actually doesn't apply to most of crypto it just it doesn't it doesn't crypto doesn't fit into what they have regulated against so what is important is the regulation needs to change but the sec are sort of denying that and taking a lot of different crypto companies to court saying that they are selling unregistered um securities and some companies like coinbase are fighting back and saying that we have gone to 
you know, they have had 30 meetings with the SEC over the last nine months. There's been nothing come out of them. And then suddenly they're being taken to court. So you can see how there's just this sort of underbelly of um, kind of additional scrutiny and a clamping down and shutting off or trying to choke off the crypto industry. And so that's really what's happening at the moment. And a lot of people are... Um, feeling frustrated with the government for this and you know we're just sort of waiting to see like what else are they going to kind of bring in to really make it really difficult to use crypto and bitcoin and there is an act which i think i might do a single video about but it's called the restrict mm. act and it's mm. been in response to the to tiktok but when you read uh the um the act itself it's so far reaching and ultimately if it passes it could include crypto and bitcoin in that um which means that it could be a violation to use um these services this these services from abroad essentially and uh to use a vpn to access them you could be looking at i think it's 10 years in jail and like a million i think 20 20 dollars in jail yeah it's it's insane it's insane so just like laying it out of just this like complete restriction. So I wanted to kind of land in that and Anya, I will let you <laughs> speak in a moment. Um, but I was kind of, the, where I wanted to land this is in terms of looking at restriction versus freedom. And this mm -hmm. idea that America is land of the free, that all of these people who are in Bitcoin and crypto more or less are interested in this idea of freedom and how this, kind of what this looks like in terms of the future of freedom and is freedom ever really possible? Are we always going to be um, prevented from experiencing freedom because of the controls of bigger players, bigger actors? Um, so that's the kind of question I want to pose as like part of this uh, conversation today. But what is your response to what's been going on, Anya? Um, well... Emotionally, it's, uh, it's, I have this sense of potential defeat, you know, being defeated, you know, coming into the crypto world about three years ago, I thought I felt like it offered hope in terms of my savings for the future. That if I save within Bitcoin, that savings is not going to depreciate so that by the time I need it in 20 years from now, it's worth, you know, much, much less than what I was actually putting towards. Um, and so should I even save? Should I just spend it all now? But then what am I going to do in the future? And so Bitcoin sort of offered this potential hope of my little nest egg for myself in the future would not only not depreciate in value, but would actually increase in value. Um, and it's something I could trust in. <laughs> um, so it sort of, it saddens me that this might not be an option for me, you know, in the United States, being a citizen here. Um, and I'm, I'm fearful that I won't even have access to, let's say, Coinbase buying a Bitcoin on Coinbase from my bank, you know, and then going, moving that from Coinbase then to my ledger. Um, 
It's interesting. I haven't heard anything about ledger, any kind of like regulation on ledger. You know, uh, although I, I remember maybe a couple of years ago, some folks were saying, you know, there's no way they can get the information from you, from your ledger, from your hardware, cold storage, um, except through the code, you know, and could you be forced to give them the code if they demanded it kind of like with gold in the, whenever that was thirties in the United States, 1930s, where you had to, you were forced to give the government all your gold that you had saved. Um, and I don't know, I wonder how people tried to hide it at the time, hide their gold and keep it for themselves um, and wait till those days were over so that, you know, now we're able to hold gold again. Um, but yeah, so I don't even know now, am I, am I not going to be able to be part of the crypto community in a few months from now, or maybe a couple of years? Um, I mean, a lot of these bills that go into the House, the Senate, Congress, to they have to be passed. So they, it takes a long time for these bills to even be passed. And then even after that, let's say they're passed, figuring out how do you... Um, how do you uh, follow through on those laws? How does the government follow through? So there's, it's not like I need to figure this out tomorrow, but in the next like two to five years, do I need to make a shift? Do I need to leave the United States? Because my, my love of uh, crypto and Bitcoin, is it going to force me to, to leave the United States, a place that doesn't, that's so known for uh, a freedom in the sense of, development, you know, future development ideas and making those ideas happen. I mean, that's sort of the U.S. is known in that term, in that sense of freedom. And I feel like that that's diminishing. Um, and it's, it's not about freedom. It's about control. Um, and power of the ones that are existing in control. And I think we've talked about that previously about, you know, it's all these uh, aging men who, you know, and a lot of this is about reimagining how humanity goes forward, coming out of this whole COVID reset. How do we go forward? And the people in government in the United States, I, I don't think they're capable of us leading us forward. Uh, they're, they end up just being stuck in the old way and then pulling everybody down, um, including the dollar, the United States, that sense of freedom. Um, I mean, fr freedom is tricky too in the United States because who had freedom when this, you know, when the sense of the constitution and bill of rights and all that was created, you know, it was a bunch of white men coming over from Europe um, and a I think quite a few of these men were powerful men and they wanted to keep, you know, they weren't pure, pure angels when they created the constitution, you know, and, and, you know, like owning land that was only for men, for white men, you know, and that didn't change for a while. I don't know when, and you had slavery, you had the decimation of the native nations throughout the United States. I mean, it wasn't, I don't know. I mean, I <laughs> I never had that sense that this was really a place of utter freedom 
there were bits of freedom. Certainly there was this, it was a place of freedom for a lot of Europeans who were being oppressed by their governments and they came over, uh, but they didn't give at least the ones in power or who took power then in the United States, they didn't share that freedom with people who weren't like them, men, white men like them. Um, so I struggle um, as an American with this, as a United Statesian. I don't want to have lump Mexico and Canada in with us. <laughs> um, I struggle with this sense of freedom. Uh, and part of it is also, I mean, I've, I grew up with it. So maybe there's certain freedoms that we have that other places don't, that I'm not appreciating because I didn't come from a place of, let's say China. I have no sense of life, day-to-day -day life in China. Um, so my sense there, there is some freedom here. Uh, but the freedom that was there, I feel like that's becoming less and less. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> that's my response. <laughs> I love it. And it's so helpful because like coming from England, you know, we have a very different experience. Um, mm of what that means. And I think we have similar cultures. I think it's interesting, you know, mm -hmm. going out with an American, we can see where the differences lie. And there are significant differences in just in the American and English ways. But in terms of similarities of culture, we're pretty similar. Um, but we don't call ourselves the land of the free. You know, it's just not something that we articulate a lot. And coming from England, we hear it a lot from the Americans. We hear it in films, yeah. you know, it's like, freedom like we are you know we've helped with setting things free you know even if that's you know fighting aliens or whatever it is it's like they're the kind of the warriors they're the heroes they're the freedom fighters they are and like the ability to um still be armed you know we don't have that here so in america if there's ever anything about gun rights or gun laws it's always comes back to this constitution, which states this ability to have freedom over, um, you know, certain freedoms. And one of those freedoms is to, you know, to be able to be armed. And so you kind of go back to these initial freedoms, but it was like, well, what were they really, you know, was it freedoms or were they, was it really about retaining power in the hands of the few? Yeah. And because it really, like you say, the constitution and was and the founding fathers it was founding fathers right they were all men all white men and um even now we look at that and of course there are women but in government but it's like we are still looking at a very small proportion of people who are holding tremendous amount of power and there's still this idea that there's this this freedom for all but really that like you say has that freedom ever been for all or was it built on a foundation of greed and power? And actually, this is just an ex like an extension of that that same greed and power. And we can see that in just terms of these like choke points, how they are um, invisible. Mostly, they're trying to be invisible. They're trying to be covert as much as possible. Like underneath this kind of insidious hold, this grip that like tightens around something that it doesn't like. Like this kind of this this thing that like pre presents itself as being this beautiful open 
flower or adornment and actually underneath it's squeezing all of the things it doesn't like and crushes it down Um, maybe like ivy you know it's like we see these beautiful flower like leaves but we don't realize that it's actually squeezing the tree to death and so it's like this interesting this interesting juxtaposition that I see in America this kind of this what's outward and then what's actually underneath yeah and I think at the moment we're really seeing like the kind of insidiousness of some of the the power play and some of the politics that are going on um we're really having like insight into what is happening and I sort of wanted to I sort of circled or wrote down um you know this idea of we think we think about democracy and we think about those that we elect Mm. quotation marks I mean how much choice do we have over those people that stand um but who you elect they're supposed in a in a democratic system they're supposed to be there protecting the people and it's like are they really there protecting people are they really there protecting you as a as a normal citizen or are they there protecting their own interests and I think this is that idea like freedom protectionism and it's like the greed and power versus you know, the actual legitimate care of the community and the extended citizens. Yeah, I mean, this whole idea of, you know, oh, you but you have the freedom to vote, you know, like you mentioned, it's, but who do you get to vote for? I mean, I would say, I mean, after my voting uh, for Obama for the first time, and just the disappointment that came with that, um, with his rule and whatever happened there. Uh, but it was very disappointing. Uh, certainly there wasn't change that I saw that I was hoping for that he had promised all the time. And it was exciting. I mean, everybody was really elated and there was a certain sense of, okay, change is happening. And I mean, it, People were running in the, it was, it was an amazing time, but after that, I really became disillusioned with the whole voting system. And I mean, I continued to vote, but I would vote for, I mean, it's interesting. You only hear two parties at most, like on the media. So people are just thinking we have Republicans and Democrats, but there was, I mean, I looked at the list of people you could vote for maybe in the last election or before that. Um, There's like at least 70 people running. And I mean, what I did the first couple of years is I voted for the Green Party. I thought at least let's try something else um, because I still wanted to be part of it. Um, but I didn't want to put my energies, my precious emotional time energies into voting for somebody who I thought was the worst of two evils. That just seemed absurd to me to do, to spend my time that way. Um so in a sense of freedom, that, that system isn't working. If, if my, what I understand is freedom. And, you know, another thing you mentioned, the guns, that freedom to hold guns. I'm like, is that what freedom means? I mean, to me, gun is, is this tool of uh, navigating fear and anger. You know, it's a fear thing. It's not a freedom thing. You know, I would think we could come up with something better than like, sort of like, this is the, this is the, um, not mascot, but this is the, the thing <laughs> that identifies freedom and it's a gun. I mean, another thing is land, land and guns. That's our sense of freedom. I think it could be land for sure. 
because land gives you the nourishment, water, food, places uh, to pray, places to connect with nature. Uh, but guns, you know, does that really mean freedom? I don't think it does. Again, it's it means fear. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that you speak to that about guns. You know, it's like when you ask people about why they feel that they want to be armed, and it's often because it's as a it's like a fear of the government, right? A government getting kind of too much control, and so there is yeah. a fear there. And why are we clamping down on crypto? Well, there's a fear there. And so in the past with the indigenous nations where smallpox blankets were given, which then essentially killed the majority of them, it's like we don't do things like that unless we have this innate feeling of fear for Mm -hmm. other and the absolute need to control. And I think that's really clear at this moment in terms of America as the sort of the global... PowerPoint, you know, or the global power piece, you know, the fact that they are incredibly manipulative in global politics, it's their currency, that is um, the global reserve currency, they make the majority of the money, money flows into them. And so they gather kind of money from around the world, especially in forms of debt. And so Mm -hmm. there's this feeling that like, you know, you have this superpower player that really is is very self-interested. And even I was listening to this whole piece about the Ukraine and Russian war and how the people that have, you know, the countries that have been so affected by that, obviously Russia and Ukraine will start there. But America absolutely said, you know, kind of pushed many countries, particularly Europe, to join it in condemning Russia. Now, America is self-sufficient in terms of energy, but Europe is not. So Europe had to cut off its ties with Russia. And where did it go to get its energy? The US. So the US actually made money, has been making money out of this conflict, watching all of these other countries suffer because they don't have their own energy and having to go to America for those energy needs. And so there's this very... mm, I don't want to say that it's, you know, like how much is conspiratorial, how much is deliberate, you know, it's just but looking at it and seeing how America continues to hold this kind of this almost boss bully, strong power of the world and does so with kind of undermining policies and fear tactics and, you know, really squeezing countries through fear or through, you know, by cutting them off like Cuba or through debt. And it's like, it's kind of what they do to their own citizens as well. Um. I mean, as you say (laughs) that, I mean, it's not like the United States is the only country nation that does these things in terms of manipulating their people via fear. And I mean, I would say probably most nations across the globe do this. It just happens that we are then now sort of that top because the dollar is the global currency. Well, currently we'll see where that goes, but you know, if China, if the Yuan China, uh, if that currency, you know, that seems to be now the focus of Russia and uh, South Africa and various places, you know, is that then the new currency or is that an additional currency that 
is going to vie with the dollar, the U.S. dollar. Um, so it's like, I feel like you come back to humanity, you know, just this part of the game we play is this fear and bullying. It's, it seems so a part of who we are. Yeah. I don't know. Because I don't want to put like the U.S. to blame and pretend like everybody is a princess and beautiful and lovely and loving, you know, because that's not the case. It's just that we happen to be the ones in power currently, you know, before it was the Romans and, you know, whoever else was part of the China was certainly part of that as well at some point, you know, history and and other places. So England. (laughs) Oh, God, I forgot about you guys. How did you forget us? Hello. (laughs) I mean, yeah. pretty, pretty helpful. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think, I think, you know, I focus on America because they currently are at that pivotal point. You know, they are the global superpower. Definitely that could change and move to China or another, another superpower. But I think, I think what's, what's different is China never pretends to be the land of the free. I think that's where I'm like, it's like juxtaposition. It's like you say that it's for freedom, but it's not. So there's an insidiousness there that other countries, they're not always pretending to be something that they're not. Um, But, and that's kind of, that's, that's sort of what I'm talking about in terms of this choke point, these choke point operations. It's just like, it's not a blatant, let's just, let's just all say that these are not good industries or let's just talk about how we're going to manage these industries instead they go down beneath the surface and they start to squeeze out the things they don't like and maybe it's like it you know it is just part of what it means to be in power you know you need to have certain amounts of control but it's also as citizens what do we agree with and as a country where you there is this sort of this articulation of freedom it's like are, would people stand up for that and say, we are we are here to be free. We are here to have our, our rights to hold our own money, to access um, the internet in the way that we want to, if that's, you know, to, to access Bitcoin or whatever. It's like, maybe this is a country that can... Like, are we going to go through another period where it's like we have this taste of freedom? You know, with right now it's with Bitcoin and it's this possibility of what could be. Just like in the 60s, there was this possibility of what could be in terms of drug freedom. It's like this this connection to the earth and each other through MDMA and acid. And it's just like, you know, it was very exploratory and it was very powerful and it was very opening until the government says no and it shuts it down. And at the time, there was nothing anybody could do. And it just was like this kind of light and then a crushing. And then is this another case of light? And are we about to see the crushing? Because freedom ultimately can't exist. So even in the very country that says we are the land of the free, freedom can't exist. Is there any country in the world where freedom is held up as this beautiful concept or is like you say, every country is just run by people that are incessant on domination, control, suppression. And America is a great articulation of that, but a pretense of freedom. That's sort of what I'm interested in. Yeah, I mean, I 
I wonder, like going again back to sort of, I mean, after the 60s, then you had the next movement kind of was the internet and access to internet. And I, I haven't done too much research on it, but there, I mean, there was a lot of pushback from the United States against the internet. It was a fearful thing. And there was legislation trying to be passed and the media, you know, the New York Times at that time and the Wall Street Journal. I mean, these, they were all anti, they were showing that anti-internet, that it was going to be the death of society. And I mean, I don't even know what happened when TV came out, you know, was this, I mean, it would be interesting to go back, like when you have big changing, societal changing movements is there always, at least let's say in the U.S. history, since that's what we're talking about, a real powerful pushback by the government to clamp down? Um, but like, let's say in the case of TV or let's say Internet, that was, I think, more of a big change, mm-hmm. um, especially global change that made it through, you know, for a lot of it. I mean, some of it, I think, got squashed, but. I think it has given us lots of freedom, freedom to hear all kinds of voices from all over the world and for free. Well, you have to pay for internet, like the electricity and that jazz. But I mean, it's basically a a major freedom. Uh, So I wonder, you know, how maybe we could compare, you know, crypto to sort of the the path of how um, the internet went. And that it won't be able to be squashed because it is such a global thing. And so many people are involved. Um, And you have, I mean, people like Michael Saylor, the head of uh, MicroStrategy, he's not just a nobody or some nefarious creature. I mean, he's the head of a, a major company and he is all about Bitcoin and its future. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm curious I mean, it's going to be some great books written about (laughs) Bitcoin and crypto, like in 10 years, 20 years from now, how did that whole story unfold? Mm. And the scary part is we don't know right now. Like, do I have to run to El Salvador? Do I have to sell my place and run to El Salvador Mm. (laughs) to be free if I behave? (laughs) Well, they might still track you there. I don't know that you ever really get away from the U.S. taxes and things like that. Well, you then you renounce your citizenship. Yeah, yeah, you is can. an option because, and then I have European citizenship. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm planning. I'm planning. Yeah, not that we're like encouraging anyone to give up their citizenship, but more just it's like a concept of what we will stand behind. You know, right? Like we live in a democracy, or as I think for me, it's like right now America holds that flame. And the kind of the power of the flame is really in the hands of those in power, right? Like the government. But there is a whole host of people in America who really do believe and have grown up with the concept of freedom. And so if there is ever a nation that can actually vote for those things, you know, vote for the people that stand for freedom, vote through this understanding of freedom, choose 
options because it gives freedom. Like, like you say with the internet, I think the internet was too big to fail because everybody started using it, but not everybody is using Bitcoin, right? Not everybody has bought into that or is using it. But if everybody did, maybe then it would become too big to fail. And so we can make choices. We still have freedom to make choices for ourselves, but are we going to choose freedom or are we going to choose to listen, to stay restrained by the agendas of those who seek to control us? They aren't doing it because they care about us. They aren't doing it for our protection. It's really for their own protection. And I think it's really important to know that because those who live in America, you are, you know, everybody is watching you. And it's a kind of an appeal, especially with this restrict act coming in, you know, just even the title, you know, it's like, it's such, it's, it's just pushing through restrictions and you all have the ability to write to your um, representatives and to Mm -hmm. say no, this and, and read it, like, see what is happening. And, you know, this, like, that's going to affect all of us. Your, your policies in America affect us in the UK, in Europe, everywhere. And so, you know, I think it's the world appealing to those who are in the land of the free to realize that it's the people that have power and should in any democracy. And so use that power. So I should be thinking more about that versus how to run away. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you're telling me. <laughs> That's your second step. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin is a choice. It's a vote in that sense. So buying some Bitcoin, it's who you're choosing to elect. It's writing to your representatives. It's reading these bills. Yeah. Don't bury your don't bury your head. We are all counting on you. Okay. Okay, Anya. <laughs> Write that down. Okay. <laughs> I better get on that because I haven't I haven't read it. I've heard a lot about it. You know, a lot of uh, worried people, worried crypto people about the pot, and not just crypto. I mean, the thing with that act is it goes beyond crypto. I mean, they, they, I think they have then because of this, they can access um, like lots of people have these uh, security cameras in their houses, that sort of a thing. And it goes through the internet. All the information is via the internet. So you can then be on your phone and you see if the mailman is breaking into your house or just leaving you mail. Did the neighbor dog walk by and pee on your bush? You know, so you have this all on the internet. And they will have access to that. They will know everything that's going down with you. Um, so it's everybody actually should be reading that act and not just the crypto people and uh, and really understanding. I mean, the freedoms are, if that act gets passed, <laughs> there's not going to be that many freedoms left. You can still hold a gun, but what are you going to do with that gun? <laughs> but they're going to get you in the end. You know, it's like a, uh, not a useful tool. The, the more useful thing is like you say, to, to really educate yourself and then write to your Senator, mm. your representative. Yeah. And to know that free, free access to the internet that you, you know, that we all have, you know, being in the West and the North, um, that is powerful. It's almost more powerful 
than a gun. I mean, it depends what you want to do the gun for, but in terms of like creating change or creating even protections or whatever it is that you want to fight for, you can do that online. You know, you can kind of stand up for something and speak to lots of people. You don't need to wield a gun. You know, you don't really want to get to that level. That's like your last resort. Whereas if they're starting to clamp down on your use of the internet, and that's like, you know, personal things that you're doing, that's not things that aren't, you know, that are against the law. This is just maybe messaging someone or what's going on in your home. If if you use a particular um, app or web platform that has over a million users from a country that they don't agree with, then you could be liable, you personally, for using that app, for going online could be, you know, could end up with twenty year, a 20-year prison sentence and then a million-dollar fine. I mean, it's just like, what are they so afraid of? You know, this is what we talk about, this fear, like what, how fear guides. Yeah. It's like, make, you know, we all have the responsibility to make ourselves aware of what our government is afraid of. And, you know, is it actually doing that to protect us or protect it? it um, it's power. And they don't want you to have the voice that currently we have. You have a voice right now and we don't know how long that will last. If we start going down the CBDC route, start going down the Restrict Act route, it's like freedom just does this. Yeah. Yeah. We have choices and that's good. Choices for change. So, okay. Alrighty. I will speak to you next week and... Just for everyone watching, um, thank you so much for being with us today. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Mm-hmm. Oh, and don't forget to hit, <laughs> to hit the bell button. No, not the bell button. Hit yeah, the bell button. <laughs> <laughs> like, hit the like, subscribe, and the bell button all. So you get uh, all the updates for when our videos come out. And share with friends who you think might be interested and who, who want to, uh, who might um, find it important to sort of navigate this edge of freedom that we're on and uh, that might uh, be interested in helping us keep that freedom. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Anya. I'll speak to you soon. Yeah. Thank you, Tansy. Ciao.